You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Got a friend here who was in the band with me. And uh, so any band stories this morning, we've got someone who can tell if they're a truth or a lie. You can ask him later on. I don't know if there are any this morning. We'll see. We'll find out. Welcome. Welcome to church. It's good to be here. Everyone doing good? Yeah, it's not raining. That's kind of nice, isn't it? Welcome to Harborside Church. We are in our sixth week, sixth week of being a grown-up church, and it feels good. And it's pretty echoey in my mic, and we'll just, we'll just have some fun while we're working on it. The guys at the back are doing a great job doing their audio-visual thing. Oh, it's good to be here. Hey, join us next week because we've got an exciting, we've got a guest speaker coming, Simon Smart, as Kate told you, which is really fun. You get to have a rest from listening to me. Don't look too excited, please. Uh, and also, we're going to have a sign-up Sunday, which is great. As you can see, there's lots going on here at Harborside. We've got coffee team, we've got the hospitality team, we've got welcoming team, audio-visual team. And, and truth is, we, we need some more people to kind of join those teams and help get this church off the ground. And so we would um, love your help. We'd love your help. So anyway, we're going to talk more about what those teams look like, what it might mean to be involved, and we'd love you guys to sign up. We'll talk more about that next week. Uh, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good about preaching God's Word today. We're pretty committed at Harborside to opening up God's Word, allowing Him to speak, and we'll listen. So I'd like to pray that we'd actually have open hearts to hear this morning. That's really what this message is about, is hearing. So join me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the gift of your word. You haven't left us to wander around the dark, wondering why we're here and who you are, but you've given us your word. May we be students of the word, good stewards of the gift you've given us. Speak through me. May they not be my words of a sinful, fallen man, but words of life from you that would impart life to us today. That's what we want. We ask, Jesus, that you'd be present by your spirit, transforming and changing us to make us more like yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I enjoy uh, reading when I get the chance. Three young kids, so not much reading. I have to read. I read, studied for six years at Bible college, so I had to do a lot of reading there. But I enjoy reading just as a bit of relaxation. But with three young kids, I don't get to do it too much. But when I do... I like reading this uh, genre that you've probably heard of before. It was introduced to me a little while ago. It's called historical fiction. Do you know it? It's, uh, it's, it's just a great genre. I love it. It's when authors take historical facts about well-known people of history or sort of time periods of history. They take the facts, and where there are gaps, they insert characters and things to make it a really interesting story. So you read the book, you're learning about history, which I love. I'm a fan of history. I just love stories. And it's an enjoyable read. I love it. This is one author, Con Eagledon, I really like. He's written five books on Caesar, which I devoured. Fascinating. He's written about the English Civil War, the War of the Roses, which I really enjoyed. He's written about Sparta and all that kind of stuff. And he's written five books on Genghis Khan and his descendants, which I really enjoyed. Fascinating stuff. Genghis Khan was a brilliant and ruthless leader. He went really from being an outsider of a tribe, homeless or pretty much, as a teenager, then from there to leading basically the biggest empire, kingdom, the world had ever known. Fascinating. The Mongols were unmatched on the battlefield. I mean, they, they could uh, ride a horse pretty much bareback 
just holding on with their legs, and they were masters of the bow, and that's how they conquered so many armies. And while their empire grew, they became more skilled in different types of warfare, particularly siege warfare, particularly when they were expanding their kingdom. They'd come to a, a city, a town that was walled, right, protected by people like Genghis Khan and his armies, and, you know, cleverly, they'd shut the walls when Genghis would come, shut the doors, and they'd hide in their little city, scared of Genghis and his armies for good reason. But Genghis was patient. Him and his armies would just wait. They'd camp on the fields near the town, and they would wait. And word got around pre pretty quickly about the system of communication that they had set up. What Genghis would do, he, he wanted to communicate with the people inside the walls. And what he did is the armies camped out on the plain, and they would erect these huge structures where they would put uh, different colored material, bit like uh, tents, different colored tents, to communicate with the people in the city. The first tent they erected on the first day they came was a white tent, which signaled, we own you now. We'll wait, but we own you. And if you surrender today, everyone will live. We won't burn your city and everyone will live. You've got one day. Second day, they put up a different colored flag tent, this one red gets worse and worse. This one read saying, we still own you, but now our patience is wearing thin. Every man in the city walls will die. The next day, a black tent was erected. You see where this is going? Now our patience is worn thin. Now we own you, and now we destroy your city, and everyone in the wall dies. You imagine, when Genghis came to town, you knew it. His kingdom was pushed forward by power and might. Can you imagine being in those city walls? You imagine seeing those different colored tents. Like, how scary would it have been? You would have been in no doubt who was coming and why. When Genghis came to town, he had two choices join the kingdom or die. They were the choices. His kingdom came by power and might. Stand in the way, and you're doomed. Now, that was almost a thousand years ago. Let's think about these concepts a little closer to home. Let's think about leaders of the world today how does how do they come to power how do they gain and maintain power what does that look like well often in some parts of the world it still looks like taking power by force doesn't it in other areas it might be just manipulating the masses but what about much closer to home what about in our country what does that look like well i think it's by convincing as many people as you can to your way of thinking isn't it you exercise as much influence as you can. You gain a hearing with as many people as possible to try and convince them to get behind you. Pretty recently, we've seen sort of, I don't want to say too, I don't want to get too political, but in the last week with the whole Everest race and the Opera House and advertising on sales, we've seen, we've peered into a bit of how power works in our culture, in our city, haven't we? We've seen that actually people, people who seem to work for the masses actually how it really works is power and influence that's how you get your way power and influence how does jesus as time magazine would say about him the most influential leader of all time how does he usher in his kingdom how does he gain followers how does he build his kingdom here's a good question how do you enter it well jesus kingdom comes by hearing so be careful how you hear. Jesus' kingdom comes by hearing, so be careful how you hear. Now, 
that statement, as, as we're praying this message, that, that needs a moment to digest that. What does that even mean? That is so countercultural. Jesus' kingdom comes by hearing? What does that even mean? It's so different to what we're used to, isn't it? Earthly kingdoms, earth, earthly power, what we're used to, it's so the opposite. You gain a hearing with people, right? You gain a hearing with them. You push your way to the front. You make as much noise as possible to be heard. But Jesus, his kingdom comes by hearing. The ability to sit down to take in what someone else is saying. Why? Because the kingdom of God is like a seed. We're going to see in the parable of the sower today. The seed equals the word. The kingdom of God is like a seed. It's, it's a message. right? It's word. It's information. It's the truth. It's the gospel. Today we'll hear it's like a seed. I got Alison to bring me a seed. There we go. You probably can't see it. It'd be on the first row. Yeah, a seed. By the way, I was saying to someone before, the, the front rows are empty, so we are now officially a church. I don't know if you realize that. We had to, we had to experience that. Here it is. The kingdom of God's like a seed. Look at it. It's tiny. Yeah, the kingdom of God's like a seed. Utterly pathetic looking, unimpressive. What a strange way to build a kingdom. See, the way of the world, it's, it's not like this. The way of the world, okay, if we're talking about a seed or something, the way of the world is like a boulder. It comes and it, it crashes against the landscape, makes a big impact, breaks it up. Like Genghis, here I am. Defy me and die. Or closer to home, a bit more like our culture, which is vote for me, huge amount of influence, large initial impact. Lasting change? You know, ultimately, these kingdoms, kings of the world, they bring short-term change. They never really change the landscape much, whereas a seed, although undoubtedly, certainly unimpressive, when given the right conditions, completely transforms the, the landscape into a thing of life. You see, the kingdom of God doesn't win followers by force, but by faith. So this morning, we're going to see Jesus illustrate this in his famous parable of the sower. His kingdom doesn't come by power or might, but by hearing. So be careful how you hear. Now, you can hear in four different ways. You can hear with a hard heart. You can hear with a shallow heart or deluded, conf confused, uninformed, but we'll go with shallow heart. So hard heart, shallow heart, a divided heart, or an open heart. So hard, shallow, divided, open. We've got a responsibility for the condition of our souls or the soil, if you will. How we hear actually really matters. Let me ask you, have you ever been, have you ever told someone, or if you're more like me, been told, you're not listening to me? You ever heard that? I see a lot of women nodding. You've told that to somebody. Don't look at your husbands right now. It's not going to help. You're not listening to me. If you're anything like me, maybe you look like you're listening, but you're not taking it in. You're not hearing me. Don't nod, Pip. You're not allowed to nod, okay? <laughs> in the English language, there seems to be kind of this difference between listening and hearing, doesn't there? Yeah, I listen, but you haven't really heard. See, the Hebrew word for listen incorporates the action of listening and obeying in one. In Hebrew culture, in Jewish culture, to to hear something and not do anything about it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense with the word. To, to hear is to, to listen and obey to do something with it. 
put it into practice, what you've heard. Recently, much right attention has been given to victims of domestic violence. I'm sure you've seen it in the media. And Shamefully, some of it has occurred within our church communities. Victims of domestic violence talk about telling people, speaking of their ordeal to people in the church and sometimes pastors. And some of the pain of it is that they speak about their ordeal and people like pastors listen, but they haven't heard. They were listened to, maybe, sometimes not even that, often brushed off, shame. They were listened to, but they weren't heard. Nothing happened. No understanding took place. No action took place. You see what I'm saying? Listening, hearing properly means to understand what's been communicated and to do something about it. In the last few weeks, we've been in our Discover Jesus series. It's been great. I think we're in our fifth or sixth week. And it's been awesome. We're, we're traveling through the book of Mark in the New Testament, and we've been asking these questions. Who is Jesus? And what did he come to do? And we've seen that Jesus is the promised one from, from long ago, well, well before 700 years before his birth. We've seen the promises come true about who Jesus is and what he's doing. We've seen that Jesus is the great healer, able to heal all different types of diseases, but ultimately to heal the relationship between God and us to forgive sin. Only God can do that. We've seen that Jesus is the rule breaker. He comes to redefine what it means to follow God. Last week we saw that Jesus is the stronger man, able to bind the strong man, the evil one, the devil, destroy his kingdom and build a new one. Now we've been asking these questions, remember, who is Jesus and why did he come? This week we're looking at the third question, the Gospel of Mark is concerned with. Mainly that's sort of chapters 8 and 9 onwards. And the question is, well, what does it mean to follow him? Who is Jesus? What's he come to do? And the third question of the book of Mark is, what does it mean to follow him? Well, today we're going to dip our toe into the water of that question. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, today it means to listen well. The kingdom of God comes by hearing, so be careful how you hear. All right, longer intro than normal this morning. We're going to get stuck into it. Four ways you can hear. The first one, you can hear with a hard heart. Be careful not to hear with a hard heart. Now, many of us know this parable. Many of us have heard this parable of the sower before. It's very, very famous. A farmer sows a seed by hand in a field. Jesus is speaking a parable, a story, a metaphor, an illustration with deeper meaning. And he uses stories and illustrations that the people of the day would have been familiar with, a largely agrarian, you know, farmer culture, unlike me, people who would have been familiar with the land and how it worked. He spoke in the language of the day. Jesus describes a farmer going about and sowing a seed, and the seed falls in four different areas of the field. The first one we'll look to today falls on the path. Now, as I was researching um, this message this week, I thought about the path in a different way. I'd always thought it was kind of stone or concrete. Um, it was, that was just what it was in my mind, but it's not. The path is soil, but it's hard-packed through lots of you know, people walking along. It's hard-packed because of heavy use. And this field doesn't go around the outside. Sorry, the path doesn't go around the outside of the field, but it meanders through the middle of the path, giving the farmer access to more of the field. No farmer in his right mind would purposefully sow seed 
on this path, but of course the wind may take it there. Right? And we're told that seed on this hard-packed soil does not do well. Why? Because the seed remains on the surface of the ground. It's not able to penetrate through to the soil. It remains on the surface. Now, this is describing the way the Word works. When the Word is preached, when we share the good news of Jesus, when the Word is preached, the different types of seed, the soil, describes different people's reactions to that Word. And we're told that almost certainly this first one describes the religious leaders in Jesus' day. So Jesus is talking to his followers about, he's trying to explain to them, these are the different reactions that people are having to me. His family, the religious leaders, the followers, the crowds. And of course, it reflects to today and speaks to how different people hear the word of God preached today. No, this message isn't for me. People say that. No, it's a crutch. It's, it's just not true. It's fantasy, flat out rejection. And we're also told in this first one, there's more going on behind the scenes, aren't we? So that the seed is on the top of the ground, unable to penetrate through. And Jesus describes to his followers that the birds come and take it away. So it is an impossibility for that seed to bear fruit because it's been taken away and consumed by a bird. Jesus describes it and says, this is the work of the evil one who comes and takes the seed of the word away from hard-hearted people. Let me say, the evil one hates the sharing of the good news of Jesus. He hates the proclamation of his good news. Satan, the evil one, hates this church. It may come as a surprise to you. Satan hates the mission of our church. Our mission is to proclaim the hope of Jesus to Mosbin and beyond, and the evil one hates it. And we rejoice in that. Okay, what does this mean for us? What's some application here? Well, I think for us as a church, we must continue to bring the word of God to bear on people's lives. How? Lovingly, humbly, graciously, kindly. But I think it also serves as a bit of a reminder there's more going on beneath the surface. Some people are hard-hearted. That is the condition of their hearts. And also we're told that the evil one prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. More is going on beneath the surface. Now, do we become fatalistic? Oh, well, that's kind of in the spiritual realm. That's, you know, we don't have absolutely not. It is God's will for us to continually, lovingly, persistently, boldly sow the word of God, share the word of God. But there is more going on. I like how Richard Lovelace says, God is in control of spiritual transformation. We are but spiritual midwives. I love that picture. We're spiritual midwives. We're standing, helping, watching, assisting the life happen. But he is responsible for the life. Okay, be careful not to hear with a hard heart. Let's move on to the next one. Be careful not to hear with a shallow heart. Or you could say confused, deluded, or that kind of thing, uninformed. But let's go with shallow. I think it's good. This seed falls on ground that looks pretty good on the surface. It's almost impossible to tell what's, what's beneath. It looks pretty good on the surface, but it's not very deep. Now, in this area around Galilee, underneath a bit of soil, there was a, a layer of limestone. And so above that layer of limestone, there's a little bit of soil. And so the seed would go, it would bear down, and it would, it would 
actually quite quickly produce fruit because what would happen is because of this layer of rock, when it rained, it held the water. And so when the sun came out, the, the plant grew up really quickly because there was a storage of water there. But eventually the, the sun that gave it life would burn it up. Why? Well, we know, Jesus says, because that plant cannot get its roots down deep because of the layer of rock. It needs deeper soil. When the word of God is preached, some will hear it and accept it with joy, but it's short-lived. This is describing, like the hard heart described the religious leaders in Jesus' day, this is describing some members of the crowd. We're told up in Mark chapter 1, 2, 3, even at the beginning of this, the crowd is so big that Jesus has to get into a boat to get away from them so he can teach. It seemed like in Jesus' day it was the thing to do, to go and hear Jesus speak or to see him perform some miracles, or heal, or cast out demons. It was the thing to do. You, went, you want to go hear Jesus? Yeah, yeah, let's go here. It was, you know, and a crowd draws a crowd, doesn't it? And so it was an exciting thing to do. But there's a difference between, oh, that's cool, and I want to know more. There's a difference between amazement and faith. And it's all in the response. Now, why don't they stick around? Turn this thing on. Why don't they stick around? Well, Jesus says, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. They think, to some members of the crowd, some members today, of course, who hear the preaching of the word, think, this is great. But when trouble, <laughs> persecution, no, are you serious? That's not what I signed up for. Not what I signed up for. They've not grasped what it means to follow Jesus. Is it good news? Absolutely. Is it life-changing news? Yes. Do we believe it is the best news that you can hear? Yes. The gospel is free, but it's not cheap. You see the distinction? The gospel is free, good news, but it's not cheap. Is a picture of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my heroes. Many of you would have heard of him. Doesn't look like edgy by today's standards. He would have been pretty cool. Kind of a hipster with those glasses, certainly. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Christian pastor who lived in Nazi Germany. Many of you would know this. Uh, author of many incredible books. Uh, he lived in Germany at, during the rise to power of Hitler in the 1930s and in, indeed in the 40s during the war. And he looked around him with horror as he saw people who called themselves Christians turn away from the slaughter that was going on. They turned away. They chose to ignore Jews and others being loaded on trains towards death camps. Now, Bonhoeffer could not ignore it. His faith led him to action, and he ultimately gave his life for doing that. But he looked around. There were many in Germany who gave Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, but it caused them to do nothing that would cost them, that would, they would make them do anything looking like sacrifice. Bonhoeffer wrote very famously in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. I can very strongly recommend that book. He said, when Christ calls a man, a person, excuse me, when Christ calls a person, he bids them come and die. That's heavy, isn't it? Should we put that as a banner on Harborside Church? <laughs> Harborside Church, come and die. That's, 
that, thanks, so. That's intense, okay? That, let's not shy away from the intensity of that statement. Let, if you're a bit confronted with that, good. I am, good. Let it confront us because it's true. But you read the New Testament, it starts with come and see and it ends with come and die. It is confronting. Now, some people are just, might just be looking for Jesus as a little bit of an add-on to their lives. And I get it. A bit of an icing on the cake. But the problem is I get it, but Jesus doesn't. You see, Jesus is Lord of the universe. He wants to be Lord of your life. He's not very good at just being a bit of an add-on. He wants to totally transform you. Sometimes it's a bit uncomfortable. Jesus calls us into a life of self-sacrifice, a life of living under God's authority. Now, do we believe that is good and right and true? Yes. Do we believe that living under God's authority is the best way to live? Yes. And does it lead to human flourishing? Absolutely. We believe that living a life of sin does not lead to human flourishing. But let's not for a second think that it's easy, that it's not costly sometimes. For some, it's just too much to bear. Now, what does this mean for us? I think for us as a church, I think we need to heed this. I do. This week I was quite confronted with this. Let the burden is on us to not paint an unreal picture about what it means to be a Christian. Right? Let's be authentic about what it means to follow Jesus. Is it the best way? Absolutely. But is it a life totally free from pain and suffering? No, don't be ridiculous. And indeed, by becoming a Christian, we might actually face some trouble, some sacrifice and persecution. You know what? Yep, that's the deal. Because we worship a king who was crowned at his crucifixion. And we believe that in our weakness, we are strong. And we believe that in order to find our lives, we lose it in Jesus. We believe that true richness is actually not holding on to everything God has given us, but giving it away. That's true richness. And for some, it's a message that's hard to hear, and I get it. This is why Jesus speaks in parables. Have you ever wondered, why doesn't Jesus make himself clearer? It's a bit confusing. We saw last week that miracles don't necessarily inspire faith. Have you heard some people, young people or old, you know, why doesn't Jesus just show up in the middle of Martin Place and do some miracles? Then there would be no question. That doesn't necessarily inspire faith. Jesus speaks in parables in order, in some sense, to sift people out. Are you ready to hear the news of the kingdom of God? Are you ready to, to enter into seeking these things out? He's not condemning or rewarding, nothing like that in a sense, but he's testing to see people. Are you ready to enter into a journey of faith? See, the parables, it's all about an invitation to faith, an invitation to discover the secret of the mystery of God, and that is Jesus. The parables are an invitation to encounter Jesus. Are you ready? In some ways, it is serious inquiries only. Bear with me on that. Let me illustrate. I sold our um, previous family car a couple of years ago. It's, it's, it's a tough thing, isn't it, being on the second-hand um, car market. It's not very fun. I didn't have much experience in it, and I don't want any more experience in it. It's not that fun. I... I researched, you know, on Gumtree, you know, you know, how much is this car worth? I don't know. It seems about that. Other people were asking about the same thing for this kind of car. So I put it on for that amount and just waited. 
Got a call from a guy. Oh, can I come check it out? Yeah, sure. It was a bit of an annoying time. Had to get off work early. You've probably done this before. And I met him. And, uh, you know, he's just he's a bit of an odd guy, I'll be honest. And um, just kind of crossed his arms and walked around the car and sort of kicked the tires a bit and then goes, I'll give you 500 bucks for it. It was worth way more than that, okay? I'm pretty sure. I mean, the kids had made it pretty messy, but it was worth, it was only a few years old. I was just like, honestly, I was annoyed. I was just like, get real and get lost. I mean, seriously, I wasn't that excited about hanging out with him. And I, I, I rang a friend of mine on the way back from this fun little adventure. I said, what do I do here? He goes, oh, here's the thing you do, is you write on the ad, serious inquiries only. And then when someone calls you to come check it out, you say, look, here's the price. I'm, I'm keen to negotiate a bit, absolutely, and, but don't come and offer me 500 bucks for my car. You'll be wasting your time, and I'll be wasting mine. Is that okay? So you, that's, I thought that was, there's a good tip for you. Second-hand car market. That's a free one. Just give me some commission if you sell. In a sense, that's right here. Now, stick with me for a second, okay? Because there's some caveats. But in a sense, that's right here. Of course, everyone is welcome here at Harborside Church to inquire, to ask any question about the Christian faith, to seek. I love talking about this stuff. Any question I will field. It's great. I may not have all the answers, but I love it. We're happy to ask any questions, but... Let me say, you will be very unsatisfied with your seeking if you just come and kick the tires of the Christian faith. If you come and just are happy to stay on the surface of things on, and remain shallow, you will be so unsatisfied because we are not talking about shallow things, are we? We're talking about the biggest questions in life, like who is God? How does one connect with him? What are we doing here? Is there life after that? We are talking about big questions. Be careful not to hear with an uninformed or shallow heart. Do yourself a favor. Get the full picture. What does Jesus say? Seek and you will find. It's the truth. But Jesus encourages serious, persistent, perceptive faith. Seek and you'll find. Okay, let's move on to our next one. We've looked at be careful not to hear with a hard heart. Be careful not to hear with a shallow heart. Be careful not to hear with a divided heart. That's the third one we're looking at today. This, I think, is the most controversial one for all of us in the room today. This is going to be the most hard-hitting for, I think, I think, the majority of us in the room today. Could be wrong, but I think this is going to, we're going to feel it. This third type of seed lands on what also seems to look like good soil, but it's not alone. There's other stuff going on in the soil. What is that? It's thorns, it's weeds. And what happens? Jesus says that because there are other things occupying the soil, the weeds take all the goodness out of the soil and don't allow the seed to bear fruit. Well, it does grow, but it doesn't grow well. It doesn't produce much fruit, if any, because the weeds choke out the life. That word choke is intense, isn't it? It chokes the life out of the plant. This is likely describing members of the crowd, other members of the crowd, or maybe even people in Jesus' inner outer circle, people who are pursuing him, who are interested in him. So maybe some fickle members of the crowd, but it's probably describing people who are interested in Jesus as well, but who are uh, one foot in, one foot out, half-hearted commitment. Now, why? Why this half-hearted commitment? Well, Jesus says, this is why. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, 
and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Worries of this life, deceitfulness of wealth, and desires for other things. Jesus says these things choke, it's an intense word, choke out the fruit of the gospel in our lives. How? Because they steal our attention, our affection, our time, our imagination. They steal our vision for what life can look like in the kingdom, for what life can look like in Jesus. We don't give our permission to Jesus. Jesus, take my heart, mind, soul, strength and make it all about you. It's give it to someone else. Recently, my little mate, you know, we've got three little ones, Josh, Bella and Micah. My little one, Micah, woke up about, I think it was nine o'clock at night and um, he was yelling out. He was upset and he was crying out. So I ran, ran in there. I think it was my turn to run in and, and see if he was okay and you know, gave him a bit of a cuddle. And he's three, and so he's sort of babbling. And, you know, is he speaking in tongues? Is there an interpretation? I don't know what's going on here. But um, he, he seemed to be, you know, he was upset. He was crying. He's upset. And I talked to him and cuddled him for a bit. And I'm like, what's wrong, buddy? What's wrong? And he, and he came out, oh, Scooby-Doo, scary. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Probably a parenting foul. He'd watched Scooby-Doo that day with his older brother and sister. I don't know if it was suitable for a three-year-old. Please don't judge me. I don't know, it's probably PG or something, whoops, it's not M, I'm pretty sure it's not M, but anyway, so, oh man, really, Scooby-Doo is scary, I'm sorry, buddy, so I'm coloring, I thought Scooby-Doo was a good character, I don't think he was out to get kids, but it's a talking dog, and that is weird, and so he's, he was in his mind, you know, and he was scared, and so I, I cuddled him and prayed with him, it's not, he's not real, don't worry, and he's not scary, even if he was real, it's okay, you know, and I put, and he went back to sleep pretty well, and went back and was debriefing with Pip and just chatting about it, and I was just struck. It dawned on me pretty quickly. Oh, you know, Disney or whoever made that movie, let's call it Disney, I don't know who made Scooby-Doo, they had taken over my son's imagination. Think about that. They'd taken over my son's imagination. When Micah was going to sleep, he wasn't going to sleep dreaming about characters he'd made, you know, characters that he'd made up. He was woken up because some character that someone else had dreamed up had invaded his imagination and was scaring him. Now, we might think, oh, that's cute. That's kind of funny. Oh, yeah, interesting. But I tell you, it has happened to you and me. It has happened to us. Make no mistake. The same thing has happened to us. We've allowed our culture, and I'm not a negative culture guy. Don't get me like that. But we have allowed our culture and our priorities, the priorities of this world, to determine our world, our life, our priorities, our calendar. And you know what it does? It chokes the life out of our souls. I think we often think we're pretty clever, having a foot in both. We think, I'm getting the best of both worlds. I guarantee you, you are getting the worst of both. That is the truth. You see, if Jesus' kingdom comes by hearing, then it is impossible to hear if we wholesale import this city's culture of busyness and noise. Now, I'm not, I'm not against this city at all. I'm not saying it's impossible to live as a flourishing Christian in this city. Far from it. That's our vision. That's what I believe. It is absolutely possible. But it's difficult to grow as a Christian if we, I think here's the word, thoughtlessly import the values and priorities of our culture. Do we think about 
what our calendar looks like? Here's a confronting question for me. This hit me this week. Does my life look very different from the other people in my apartment building who are not following Jesus? I don't know how they use their money, but do they use their money different to me? Does it look about the same? I mean, there are so many other questions we could ask ourselves. Do we thoughtlessly just import the values, the priorities of busyness and noise of this culture? You want a fruitful life? If you're a follower of Jesus, who doesn't want that? You want a fruitful life? I'll tell you how to cultivate a fruitful life. Learn to listen and you'll flourish. This also leads to the fourth way of, of hearing. With, be careful not to hear with a hard heart, shallow heart, divided heart. Listen with an open heart. Listen with an open heart. That soil produced a fruitful crop, an enormous crop. I mean, for a farmer, 30, 60, 100 times is an enormous reward, return on their investment. Now, how does the soil do it? We're going to finish up in a moment, okay? Now, how does the soil do it? Think, stay with me for a moment. How does the soil produce well? Because the condition is different from the others. Yeah? It's not hard. It's not shallow. It's not divided. But it's free. It's free of thorns and weeds and rocks. Now, if we are responsible for the condition of our soils, what do we do here? What do we do if, okay, if we're finding ourselves with a bit of a divided heart? What do we do? Well, I believe that Jesus wants our hearts and he needs our ears to get them. So I believe we need to ask the gardener, the great gardener, to remove the thorns and the rocks in our lives to listen for the kingdom. Does that make sense? A big application for us is, okay, God, reveal to me where are the thorns, the rocks, the weeds, where am I mixed up? Where are my priorities just all over the shop? Reveal it to me. And then by your power, by your spirit, remove them. Jesus wants our hearts. He needs our ears to get them. And sometimes he'll do unexpected things to get it. Many of you know the story. I'll finish with this. Many of you know the story of how this church began. An invitation, an exciting invitation to restart this church that had gone into serious decline. An exciting invitation. Pip and I excited, started praying, could this be for us? But last year, you know, we sought counsel and all that kind of stuff. We had so many great ideas, but last year, halfway through last year, it looked like it was all over. It looked like it was off. It looked like, oh, it doesn't look like the church plant's going to happen. God, what are you doing? The church plant may not happen. As you can imagine, we'd, we'd made plans and we're getting excited about it. And this was hard. This felt like it was just a total... 90 degree turn, what are you doing, God? And it was a bit of a dark night of the soul for us. We were praying and soul searching, God, what are, you, what are you trying to do? And we were mixed up. And I went to see a mentor, an older man I really respect. And I just poured out my heart to him. And I'm just, just telling him this is what was happening. And I wanted him to just, what should I do? Tell me what to do. He's like, I don't know what to do. But I know what you should pray. He said, I'll never forget it. He said, pray, Lord. You got my attention. I'm listening. What do you want to say? It's a powerful moment. Lord, you got my attention. <laughs> Didn't like how you did it. But you got my attention and I'm listening. What do you want to say to me? 
If you look at my journal, that's like written. Okay, Lord, what do you want to say to me? We felt him tell us, I won't allow this church to go forward unless you commit it all to me. God woke us up. He humbled us. He brought us to our knees in dependence on him, not on our strategies, not on our ability to network or fundraise or anything like that, which I'll be honest with you, our minds were going there because we're doers. I'm a doer. I like doing things for God. But God wanted this church to start in the right way, and that was on our knees in dependence on him. And, if, and I, my hope and prayer is that we continue that way. And he wanted us to just know that any success we had in expanding the kingdom of God in this area would not be due to our awesome planning or strategies, or it would be due to him and his spirit. God will do what it takes to get your attention sometimes, so be careful how you listen. This is my prayer, that we'd be a church that listens to God's spirit well together. You want to be a church that's doing that? Listening to God's spirit collectively well. Lord, how do we serve this area? How do we serve this city? How do we demonstrate the love of Christ in a practical way to our neighbors, to people around here? Lord, we're listening. Show us. I want to be a church that's praying that. And let's talk together about what that can look like. May we individually cultivate a posture of listening. May he and his scriptures fill our minds. Jesus, invade our imagination. Give us a vision for our lives. Lord, be our delight. Invade our spaces. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we just we pray those things. Lord, we ask that you would invade our hearts. Lord, there's going to be some people in the room today with a hard heart. We ask that you would break the surface of their hearts today and your spirit would seep in, your word would move in power, that you cultivate in them a spirit of listening. Heavenly Father, there's people in the room listening today with, a, with maybe a bit of a shallow faith. I ask that you would deepen their faith, Lord. It's okay to admit I'm on the surface of things, but it's not okay to remain there. And so, Lord, deepen our faith. Give us reserves so that when trouble, persecution comes, we can stand because of what you've done in our lives. Lord God, there's people in this room who are hearing with a divided heart, with a foot in, in either camp. Lord God, plant both our feet on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. There is no greater place to put our feet in. Heavenly Father, cultivate in us as a church and individually a spirit of listening. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen.